Oh God, how we thank you today that you are calling us into your presence to continue in, in worshiping you. Thank you for the way that we have the opportunity just to lift up our voices, lift up our spirits, and put you above everything else in our life right now and honor you with our worship. Thank you that even when it seems like life is falling apart around us, even when it seems like we're going through storms of life, you're there to get, catch us. You're there to draw us to yourself. You're there to give us hope and to give us life. So God, we come into your presence right now. And we want to continue to just pour our worship out to you. Take our minds take our hearts and continue to draw them close to you. God, more than anything, when we go away from here today, we want to be more like Jesus. So thank you for the opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth. And we continue to do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to take your Bible and open it with me to Matthew chapter 5 as we continue to, to work our way through the gospel of Matthew. Um, Matthew chapter 5, last week we left off with verse 16, and we're going to pick up today with verse 17. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. You follow along with me as I read. <clears throat> Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you the truth, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, some of you are reading through the Bible with me each day this year. And over, over the years, we've used a number of different kinds of approaches to reading God's Word uh, from Genesis to Revelation. Sometimes we've taken groups of Scripture, but by the end of the year, we've read through the whole, the whole Bible. This year, our plan is to read one chapter a day. And as we follow this plan, uh, this is exciting to me because it's going to take us three and a half years to work through this plan by God's plan and God's will we'll still be together after three and a half years but even if I leave you or if you leave me continue to read through this plan until you read through the complete word of God and I'm going to tell you a little bit later why I've chosen to use this plan to read through God's word the Bible begins with Genesis. Genesis is the book of beginnings. Genesis teaches that when God created everything, including you and me, He said it was good. He created boundaries for everything and everyone to keep everyone and to keep everything in balance. Boundaries are necessary to guide us. Boundaries are necessary to protect us. It's impossible to live safely and to live peacefully without some kind of boundaries in our life. And that's why we have measures of security in our homes and our offices and our churches. Boundaries are important. So when God created you and me, when He created mankind, He created a boundary to guide us and protect us. And we call that boundary God's Word, God's law. We ended last week in Matthew chapter 5, 16, which says, In essence, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify the Father in heaven. 
as a believer, we want Jesus Christ to be reflected through our life. That was the basic essence of where Matthew 5, 16 left off last week. So as a part of my early morning devotional this year, I've been, I've been reading through a book called The, the Valley of Vision. It's a, it's a collection of Puritan prayers. And every day I've been taking one of those prayers at the end of my Bible reading devotional time and just trying to see what God said to somebody in the 17th century that applies to my life today. And this week I saw a sentence that just captured my attention. Here's what it said. O Holy Spirit, come as light, illuminating the scriptures, molding me in its laws. And I thought, that's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Let my light shine. Let my life be a reflection of the light of Jesus so I can effectively be the light of the world so that the laws of God can guide me and keep me in God's boundaries. So that's where, that's where we are today. And the purpose of that is so that my life will glorify God. Are you aware that that's why you were put here on this earth? You were put here on this earth for your life to bring glory to God. You were put here on this earth to reflect God's nature, who God is. Uh, last week we looked, for example, at how the church is to be the church in the world. How can the church be the church? What does that mean? We learned, first of all, that that means that God is our Father. We're orphans who are brought into the family of God. It means that we are salt in the world. We give taste to the world around us. We are light in this dark world. And as orphans, we want to reflect what it looks like for a life to bring glory to God. Today, we pick up right there and we look at a little bit about, you know, what's the problem? What is the problem with the formula that Jesus gave us last week in the first 16 verses of Matthew chapter 5 and us actually being able to carry out the function that the church is designed to fulfill? Well, the problem is that we have a fallen human nature since Genesis chapter 3 when Adam chose to rebel against God. He has passed down from generation to generation that fallen human nature that's so different from what God created in the beginning. And the real problem is we don't want anyone telling us what to do, do we? We don't, we don't want to live within the boundaries that are best for us and best for the glory of God and best for everyone else. We're rebellious. We're rebels. We don't want anyone telling us what to do. So God's plan for freedom is for us to enjoy the creation that he has put us in within his boundaries. Enjoyment, work, rest, food, sex, beauty, all of these freedoms are designed to be worked out within the boundaries that God has created. And when we step outside of those boundaries, what happens? We become slaves. We become slaves to the lack of freedom that we have because we think we're gaining more freedom by stepping outside those boundaries and all we're doing is putting ourselves in slavery. For example, when I take enjoyment outside its boundaries, I become a slave to indulgence. When I take work outside the boundaries that God created, it becomes workaholism. When I take rest outside the boundaries that God created, I become lazy. When I take eating outside the boundaries that God created, meddling a little bit here now, but I become gluttonous. 
when I take sex outside the boundaries that God created, I become an adulterer. You see how this works. God created boundaries so that we can live in freedom. When we step outside those boundaries, we become slaves to ourselves, slaves to our sin. My light stops shining and reflecting Jesus. My life stops bringing glory to God. So are you willing to go there this morning and lay your life before God and ask God to reveal to you where you might be stepping outside those boundaries? Where you might be putting a basket over the light that's supposed to be shining brightly to the world? Where your life might just be becoming a pile of rocks rather than salt to bring taste to the world in which we live. So why is the law and why is righteousness such a big deal? Well, Jesus goes there. So let's go there with him. First of all, in verse 17, the law demonstrates God's righteousness. It demonstrates God's righteousness. Verse 17 says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law, wipe out the law, or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus said, I didn't come to wipe out the law. I came to complete it, to fulfill it. See, the purpose of the law is to do what? The purpose of the law is to demonstrate God's holiness. Demonstrate the righteousness of God. Demonstrate the nature of God. The law of Moses defined boundaries for guiding the heart and actions of those who are God's children. These laws fell into three categories. Ceremonial laws, civil laws, and moral laws. Ceremonial laws dealt with our relationship with God. When we sin, God provided a way for us to find forgiveness of that sin, to cover up that sin according to the Mosaic law, so that we could have a relationship vertically with God. The civil laws dealt with relationships that we have with other people. For example, in, in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 10 to 13, there's, there's an example there of how God wanted His people to collect debts. He said, when you go to collect a debt, don't go inside the house and demand payment for the debt, but knock on the door and deal with it on the outside. That was a practical law. That was, that was a, a, a law that was a civil law between human beings. But then God's moral law, which is the big picture, is referred to as the Ten Commandments, God's Ten Commandments. And those uh, Ten Commandments, those moral laws, deal with boundaries for living a life in holiness before God. And the reason we want to do that is because God is holy. And we want to have a relationship with holy, almighty God. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So here's what Jesus did. Jesus perfectly met the standard for fulfilling every law God gave to demonstrate the perfect righteousness of God. Only Jesus has ever done that. He was perfect. He was righteous. He was holy. He never sinned. And just like God is perfect and righteous and holy, for you to walk with God, for you to live a life within God's presence, means that the requirement is that you be perfect as well. You be holy. You be just. How can that be? The only way that can happen is for you to give your life to Jesus and let Him become righteousness for you. And Jesus is going to define how that works this morning.
So this is great news. This is a great message for every single one of us. Because one day we're going to stand before God. And because God is just and holy and must punish those who are unholy and not just, who rebel against Him, then one day we're going to have to stand together and give an account for our righteousness. What is the law? Well, the law is simply a mirror. The law simply reflects who you and I really are. I've been going through some pre-cancer treatments recently. Put this medicine on, and this medicine just destroys unhealthy skin, but it leaves the healthy skin. If you have a cell phone, take your phone out and you pull up your, um, your camera. There's a little button over on the right-hand side that you can hit that reverses the camera. It looks like my camera is pointing at you, but guess who it's pointing at? It's pointing at me. And guess what I see? I see a face that's got a lot of red spots on it and a lot of damaged spots on it that's being burned off of my, of my forehead right now and, and my face. This camera, though, only reflects the image that's put in front of it. And that's exactly what the law does. The law simply reflects the image that you truly are. See, I can cover up these blemishes, but they're still there. And this mirror that's on my camera helps me see and magnify even the blemishes that are there. So, so the law of Moses simply pointed out where we're imperfect. Our standard can never measure up to the standard of God. The law demonstrates God's righteousness. And when, when God looks at you, what is He going to see? When you stand before God and God looks at you, what is He going to see? Well, Matthew reveals in verse 17, And I think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, the law demonstrates God's righteousness through Jesus. And when you give your life to Him, that's a good thing. Because the righteousness of Jesus then becomes your righteousness. Nobody else in human history can say that. Only Jesus. And that leads to verse 18, which is the second point. Jesus fulfills the law. He fulfills the law. Verse 18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And so when you see in Scripture, in the words of Jesus, anytime Jesus says, for truly, or barely, barely, or truly, truly, Jesus is saying, wake up! Pay attention! Heads up! This is really, really, really important. And so, there's nothing that's going to be able to stop God's law from being fulfilled. Do you see it? Jesus says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, until there's nothing here like we know it now, the smallest detail of the language, the human language, the, the dot and the iota, the smallest part, every single part is going to be accomplished till heaven and earth pass away. Now, what is Jesus talking about? Well, one thing he's saying is that there's, there's no part of the law that's unimportant. It's all important. But he's also saying that he totally and completely fulfills the requirements of the law for you and me. If you have your Bible, turn over with me to Romans chapter 3, because this is where the Apostle Paul takes this message from Jesus and he expounds on it, and he makes it crystal clear for you and me today. If you start with verse 19, Romans chapter 3, the Bible says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable before God. So one day... You're going to have to give an account of your life before God. 
verse 20, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So what Paul is talking about, if, if you back up to verse 11, uh, or verse 10, verses three, uh, Romans 3, verses 10 and 11, the Bible clearly says, there's none righteous, no, not one. That's you, that's me. No one is righteous before God. That's bad news. Because that means our sin separates us from God. That means if I stand before God and He looks at me according to my works, according to my righteousness, according to my fallen nature, I'm going to be rejected by God. Now this is where the news gets really good. Look at verse 21. But now, one of my favorite phrases in the scripture, you know, I'm alienated from God because of my sin. Verse 21, but God, but now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Okay, hold there just for a moment. There's some big words here that we need to understand. The righteousness of God simply defines the fact that God is perfect. He's holy. He never makes a mistake. He never makes an error. And for me to stand before Him, I have to stand perfect before Him. But God has made it possible for me to do that. The righteousness of God, verse 22, through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. The only way I can be righteous before God is to believe in Jesus. What does that mean? Well, that means that Jesus became flesh, God in the flesh. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. Only He has ever lived a perfect life. And God took that perfect life of Jesus and sacrificed it on your behalf and on my behalf so that we could stand before God as righteous. How does that work? <clears throat> Look at verse 24. We're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Justified, here's what it means. It means that I'm a sinner and I've separated myself from God. But when I trust Jesus by faith, God looks at me just as if I had never sinned. What a gift! God has given me a gift that allows me to stand before Him and Him look at me just as if I had never sinned. I didn't deserve that. The Bible says it's a gift of faith by grace in God alone. So I'm justified by His grace as a gift, verse 24, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, verse 25, whom God put forward as a propitiation or the payment that was necessary for my sin. God put forth as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith, this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He has passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Wow! The picture is so clear. Jesus Christ, God's Son, God in the flesh, became the sacrifice, the payment necessary to pay the penalty for my sin. And when Jesus 
paid that price, and when by faith you accept it, then God looks at you as though you've never sinned. That's what makes you stand righteous before God. He is just, and only He is the justifier of the one who has put his faith in Jesus. So think with me for a moment. Can you remember a time in your life when you realized that your sin was separating you from God? And at that moment you felt God convict you of being separated from Him, of being a sinner. And at that very moment, Realizing that you were separated from God by your sin, you admitted your sin. And at that moment in your life, you believed that Jesus Christ shed His blood, sacrificed His blood to pay the price for your sin. And do you remember the day when you said, God, I believe I believe that Jesus Christ has set me free from my sin because I received the gift of Jesus Christ that you have offered me. You remember that? If you can't remember that, I pray that right now, right now in this moment, you'll give your life to Jesus. The only way you can stand righteous before God, the only way you can have a relationship with God as you walk in this life is to give your life to Jesus, to believe in Him, to trust Him, to let the just one be your justifier. For the believer, that means that when you look into the mirror that God sets before you, you look into that mirror, and God looks into that mirror, and even though you know that you are a sinner and you have rebelled against God, When you believe in Jesus and give your life to Jesus and trust Jesus, God looks into that mirror and guess what he sees? He sees Jesus. He's paid the price. He satisfied the propitiation for your sin, the substitute for your sin, the payment due for your sin. Jesus has provided all that you need to be righteous before God. Let me ask you again, have you trusted Him? Have you given your life to Him? If you've never done that, do it right now. We just celebrated Christmas, and Christmas is a time where we all enjoy exchanging gifts. Imagine someone offering you the most beautiful gift in the world. Beautifully packaged, beautifully wrapped And this is not just an ordinary gift. This is a gift that can radically change everything about your life. How does that gift become yours? Well, first of all, you have to receive it. You have to accept it. And then you have to access that gift, open that gift up, and implement that gift as a part of your life. And then after you do that, you want to tell everybody about it. You want to tell everybody that your life has radically been changed by this gift. That's what Jesus Christ has done for you and me. You enjoy the benefits of a gift when you open it up and apply it to your life and tell other people about it. You want to tell other people about it. After you receive Jesus, you can't help but want to apply the benefits of knowing Him to your life as you walk with God, as you enjoy relationship with God, and then you let everybody know, as Matthew said in verse 5 and verse 16, you let your light shine for Jesus. You let that gift reflect everything about your life, everything that's changed your life. Bottom line is, Jesus has totally and completely accomplished the law. He's fulfilled it. 
And when you accept His gift of forgiveness, by His grace, you are redeemed. You are justified, just as if you've never sinned as you stand before God. Falling short of the glory of God is no longer your picture. The perfect life of Jesus is now the picture of your life. So when you become a believer, you're transferred. You're transferred from being guilty as you look in that mirror to being totally innocent because of the perfection, the fulfillment of Jesus of the law. The law is so important because Jesus has fulfilled it. So how do you show that Jesus has changed your life? What what are some ways that you might show your friends at school, if you're a student, work peers that you have at work, or even just people in your house, people in your neighborhood? How do you reflect the, the fact that your life has been changed by Jesus? Let me just give you a couple of examples. One way you might can reflect that is just so simple. Every time you eat a meal, what if you just bow your head and thank God? Even if you're out in public, even if you're in a restaurant, bow your head and give thanks to God for changing your life, for justifying your life. You think that could be a witness to some people in your circle of influence, your circle of friends? For some, it might be taking God's Word, taking this, this Holy Bible and, and just joining somebody like me and reading a chapter of the Bible every day. And not only read it, you know, we said last Sunday night in the, uh, in the testimony time of sharing your testimony for Jesus that the Bible is not a book that's just to be read. Uh, the Bible is a book to be believed and to be studied and to let occupy your life. What if you read that chapter in the Bible every day and you ask three questions? You say, God, what, what do you want to show me about yourself in this chapter? God, what do you want to show me about me, about myself in this chapter? And then the action step comes when I say, God, how do you want to change me to be more like you from what I just read in this chapter? See, we don't just read words on a page. We, we, we read God's word to let it change our lives. Do you see how that might could help you reflect the life of Jesus in your life? See, Jesus fulfills the law. So I can follow him in glorifying God. Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect life to reflect for you and me what God looks like. When when Jesus saved my life, when I became a believer in him, at that moment, he was saying to me, I want to use your life to reflect how I've changed your life so that other people might want their life to be changed as well. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law so that I can follow his example and let him be for me what I can't be for myself. Finally today, Jesus magnifies the law. In verses 19 and 20, first of all, verse 19, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. For whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now remember this. Following the law is not going to get you into heaven. Doing good works is not going to get you into heaven. Checking off the boxes. There are many stories in the Bible about people who were called Pharisees or religious leaders. And Jesus said, you know, that's not what's going to get you into heaven. The only thing that's going to get you into heaven is trust in Jesus as your righteousness. 
trusting Jesus as your Savior because He's the only one who's perfect. Your actions, though, magnify your need for Jesus. You can't be perfect. And when you sin, which we all will, when we fall short of God's glory, which we all will, we have Jesus to run to. He points out our imperfections. The law points out our imperfections so that we can confess them and let our light shine for Jesus. We saw this morning earlier, heard earlier, read in the, in the service, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 teaches us that just because believers have Jesus as our righteousness, Jesus as our Savior, and we're no longer strapped to the law, we're no longer strapped or bound to the guardian, that doesn't mean that we take what the law has taught us and what the law is pointing us to and abandon it after we come to know Jesus. If you're here today and you're a believer, the law is still valid in your life so that you can reflect the righteousness of God, the image of God appropriately to the world around you. God's grace propels the law to accomplish three things. So let me be really clear here. First of all, the law is a mirror. I've already said this. It's a magnifying mirror. And here's how this applies to me today. When I look into the mirror, I want to see these blemishes so I can correct them. And the law magnifies where I need to run to Jesus and again, over and over again, ask Him to forgive me for the sin that I've committed. Ask Him to correct the imperfections in my life, the blemishes in my life. I want to confess them and I want to abandon them when the law reflects the fact that I've stepped out of bounds with walking hand in hand with God. Secondly, the law acts as a magnified detour sign in my life. In other words, I want to avoid danger. I want to avoid pitfalls in my life. And the law helps me understand how to do that. Keeps me from falling into the trap and becoming unsalty. Or having a basket over the light that I want to shine through my life for Jesus. And then thirdly, the law magnifies what is pleasing to God as a member of his family. As an orphan who has been purchased with the blood of Jesus and brought into the family of God. I want to honor God as one of his children, and I know you do as well. I trust that you do. We just completed a study of John in our small group toward the end of last year and the beginning of this year. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. Guess what? I can't do that in my own fallen sinful nature. I can't do that in my flesh. I need Jesus to fulfill that law for me and for me to have my life in Him and His life in me. Over the next 10 weeks, I'd like to challenge you to do something with me. How many of you, if you're familiar with the Ten Commandments, raise your hand. I just want to see you're familiar with the Ten Commandments. How many of you can state the Ten Commandments? Don't raise your hand, but because I don't want to indict anybody. Can you state them? Do you know the Ten Commandments? Here's what I'd like for you to do. Over the next ten weeks, I'd like for you to memorize the Ten Commandments. I'd like for you, one week at a time, to put into your mind, into your heart, and ask those three questions as you work through the Ten Commandments and memorize them. You shall have no other gods before me. I mean, that's the first commandment. That says a lot about who God is and why, you know, we, we want to honor God with our lives. Memorize those Ten Commandments and ask God to change your life as you come not just to read words on a page, 
But let those Ten Commandments, that, let that law become a breathing, living, walking part of your life. So when you come to church next week, I'm going to give you a test. And uh, <laughs> No, I'm just joking about that. But, but take that challenge with me over the next ten weeks. I received this smartwatch. I don't know why it's called a smartwatch. It's a smart aleck watch, actually. Uh, this thing, I got it for Christmas. It tells the time. It really does. And that's what I wanted it for. It tells me the time. But you know what else this smartwatch does? I can push this button right here. And, I mean, there are scrolls and scrolls and scrolls of different things that this watch does for me. This machine does for me. Uh, it can not only tell time, it can help me with my schedule, it tells me when to go to bed, it tells me when to wake up, it counts the steps I take during the day, it tells me how many times I wash my hands in the day, it really does, it really does. This watch is like the law in two ways. Number one, it can't make me do anything. It only makes suggestions for me. I have to act on what this watch tells me to do, is programmed to tell me to do. The second thing this watch does, like the law, it tells me what I have done. It reports on me. It tell, God forbid that if I were to die and you take this watch, you can tell everything I've done since I put it on. I don't know if I like it or not. <laughs> But that's what the law does. The law doesn't make you do anything. The law doesn't control you. So I challenge you to let the law do its work in your life. Not to save you. The law can't save you. Only Jesus can save you. But the law helps you understand God's standard, understand God's per perfection, and helps you live a life that is honorable before Him. And then in conclusion, verse 20 says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes or Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Very quickly, scribes were religious men who took the scroll of God's word and meticulously copied the scriptures. They made copies they knew God's word. They made handwritten copies in the scrolls of God's word. The Pharisees, they were the ones who took the transcripts from the scribes and they tried to control people's lives with like the Supreme Court. When they stepped out of line, they called people out for breaking the law. They memorized God's word. They knew God's word. But here was the problem. The scribes and the Pharisees had a head knowledge of God's Word, but they didn't know the God of the Word. They didn't let God have a relationship with them to take those laws that they wrote down, those laws that they memorized, and use them to transform their lives into more and more and more the image of God. For more than 60 years, I've been reading this Bible, and I literally love God's Word. More than 60 years, I've read every word in God's Word many, many, many times. But that's not why I'm going to get to heaven. The only reason I'm going to get to heaven is because I've put my trust and faith in Jesus Unlike the scribes and Pharisees, they had a chance to know Jesus and to follow Him. But like, unlike the scribes and Pharisees, here's what I've learned about God's Word. Every day, God's Word teaches me how I need to run to Jesus. And trust Jesus to do for me what I can't do for myself. And that's be the righteousness of God. Jesus magnifies the law. 
He reflects the nature and character of God. And the closer I get to Jesus, the more I can allow the law of God, the prophets of God, the testimonies of God in this book to transform my life. So how can I take, and we'll pick up here next week, but how can I take this part of God's Word and let it apply to my life today? A few suggestions. Jesus said we need a different kind of righteousness. And it starts with a relationship with Him. Make sure you have that relationship with Jesus. In the 10th grade in high school, God opened up the door for me to begin to preach His Word, to preach the Gospel. And I've never looked back. I've never regretted one day of that part of the journey. But what I learned, even at that early age, was that in order to preach God's Word, in order to even walk with God, I needed Jesus. And you do as well. We have several couples in our church. Since October, we've had at least three couples in our church who have got married. <laughs> and you know what marriage does, especially in the first few years of marriage? Marriage teaches us how imperfect we are. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but I've been married 47 years. And uh, I'm still letting my wife teach me that I'm not perfect. <laughs> That's apparent. It's apparent. The longer I study the law, the longer I study God's Word, the more I understand that I'm not like Jesus. The more I understand I need my relationship with Him in order to survive. True righteousness is a gift from God that can't be earned. Keeping the law is not going to get me into heaven. Only my relationship with Jesus is going to get me into heaven. Let me ask you this. How are you allowing your relationship with Jesus and your love for the commandments of God to affect your life? Because when you know Jesus and when you want to walk with Him, it's going to affect your language. It's going to affect your habits. It's going to affect every single area of your life. And that's why it's so important every day in my life for me to get a fresh look at who I am so that I can get a fresh look at who Jesus is so I can allow Jesus to transform my life into His image. And it's a growing process every single day. But it's worth it. It's worth it. And I challenge you to be eternally blessed, as Jesus says here. Eternally blessed by dedicating your life to Jesus and living for Him in a way that lets your light shine for Him, in a way that glorifies the Father who's in heaven. God, thank you today that you have called us to let our light shine before you so that others may see the reflection, the works that we do that are not from us, but are from you. And then consequently, our lives give glory to you. God, I pray that that would be the desire of every person here today as we prepare to come into a communion experience with you. I pray that we will let the righteousness of Jesus be our one defense. Let the righteousness of Jesus be our righteousness. As we open up our life to you and let you examine our life right now, draw us close to Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Take your communion pack, if you will, and open up the top part, the bread that represents the body of Jesus open up the cup that represents the blood that Jesus shed for you and me. If you're here today and you're a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to come into communion with Jesus 
right now in this very special way. He asked us. He said, here's what he said. As he sat with his disciples the night that he was, before he was crucified, he said, this bread is a representation of my flesh, my body. This cup is a representation of the blood that I shed for you. I lived a perfect life, so my perfect life can substitute for your imperfect life. I'm dying on the cross so that my blood can be your righteousness as you stand before God. And so today, as Jesus commanded us, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, remember Him until He comes again. Now, Lord Jesus, as we prepare our heart to continue to worship you, thank you for reminding us that it's not our works, our righteousness that can save us at all, but that you perfectly fulfilled the requirements for righteousness that we must meet to stand before you and to walk with you, God. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for reminding us that you're here today to defend us. You're here today to walk with us and to point us toward not just our need for righteousness and not just report on the fact that we can't measure up to your righteousness, but to substitute yourself so that we can have the full benefits of being part of your family, to being not orphans, but your children. God, I pray that no one will leave here today without trusting you, giving their life to you. And then I pray that because we have given our life to you, we'll want to do everything we can to reflect that righteousness that you are. In Jesus' name now, continue the worship.